0: This morning, please keep uh, Philippians open in your Bible as we uh, go through it. Um, I will also give you a time to uh, ask questions, and you can do that using slido.com with the hashtag HBSP, and I'll have a look at them at the end of the service. One of the most incredible hikes I have ever done was hiking up the highest mountain in Papua New Guinea. Mount Wilhelm, the highest mountain, has a peak at 4,509 meters, or 14,793 feet. And the climb takes a few days. And on the final day, you camp at a hut before making the trek to the top. And one of the aims when climbing Mount Wilhelm is to actually reach the top at dawn. Because at dawn, you have the best view of the country below you. At dawn, you have the best chance of actually seeing both coasts of Papua New Guinea. You can stand up there, and if you look to the north, you can see the northern coast and the ocean beyond. And then if you turn and look to the south, you can see the southern coast and the ocean beyond. And so you uh, wake up, at, at midnight, because the trek to the top, top takes about six hours. And at midnight, you start hiking. And you do so with just a torch, and you follow the person in front of you. Now, some of the trek seems quite easy, while other parts of it seem quite difficult. And as you climb, you follow in the footsteps of the person in front of you, who is also following in the footsteps of the person in front of them, who is following in the footsteps of the guide. And with a single torch, you head up to the mountain. Well, this, when we climbed up, we made it to the top. We reached the top and we saw the incredible view. And then we started the hike down. And it was only when we started on the way down that we realized that a lot of the hike that we were on the way up in the middle of the night, when we were going down, a lot of the hike was along a ridge that we were following, and this ridge was only the width of the footpath. And if you would have taken one step to the right or one step to the left, there would have been dire consequences. The walk down was terrifying as we realized that if we did not follow in the footsteps of the person in front of us, who was following in the footsteps in front of them, who was following the guide, we could have quite easily fallen to our death. And not only did we realize that, but as we were walking down, the guide started showing us the memorials that had been set up of the people who had died Trying to climb up the mountain. It was terrifying. And without even realizing it, we had put our lives in the hands of the person in front of us, who was putting their lives in the hand of the guide. And the only reason we made it to the top was because we had kept our eyes on that person. And Paul here begins this passage by saying in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, over the years, I've really struggled with doing what Paul asks of me in this passage. That is imitating other peoples because people let us down. At various points in my life, I have seen the devastation that can occur when others follow people. I've seen others, people I love and people I care about put their trust in others who have then let them down because that person does not walk in the way they should walk or follow the path that we are called to walk as Christians. And I've seen and I've experienced the devastation. I have seen people I love imitate the wrong type of people. And so for me, every time I see somebody who's imitating somebody else or looking up to somebody or putting somebody on a pedestal, I'm the first to say to them, you know, you need to be careful because that person is not God. And so as I read a passage like this and I see what Paul is encouraging us to do, I hope that you realize the gravity of what he is saying. Because depending on who you decide to imitate, who you follow along the path of this life, they may lead you to your destruction or they may lead you to heaven. So please pray with me as we consider both the warning and the inspiration found here before us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us as we consider your words before us today. Thank you for the example we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the example we have in your faithful servants around us. Help us as we consider living our lives For your glory, in your name we pray, amen. Well, in verse 16, just preceding our passage today, Paul says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And in chapter four, verse one, the last verse that was read, Paul says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus In the Lord, my beloved. Today, I would like us to consider how we stand firm and why we must stand firm in the Lord. In a way, how we stand firm in the Lord has been the topic that Paul has been discussing for this entire chapter. He says we're not to put our confidence in the flesh, not to put our confidence in what we have achieved, we are considered to consider all those things as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And in verse 13, we are also to think this way, This—that that is the way of Paul, where we are not to consider that we have made it our own, but one thing we do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, we are to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to stand firm in the Lord. And Paul continues to explain what it means to stand firm in the Lord as he calls those to whom he is writing to in Philippi to join with him in imitating himself and others instructing those who who he's writing to in Philippi to choose wisely who you will imitate. And a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, imitating people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, found in chapter 2. And I mentioned the following in someone else's footsteps. Imitating people is unavoidable. Imitating people is inevitable, even if I wish it wasn't the case. And so Paul encourages us here to find examples of godly men and women to follow and imitate. Examples like Timothy, who's interested in the well-being of others more than his own interests. And Epaphroditus, who has proven himself in hardships. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we're not only meant to follow Paul and Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, but we are meant to find other people to follow. And I believe that there are these type of people, people who care for others more than themselves and people who endure hardships here in this church. And I believe Paul is telling us to imitate them. And now in verse 17, Paul puts himself as someone they are to imitate. And you have made, maybe noticed throughout this letter that he's kind of alluded to the fact that they are to follow his example. They're to have the same mindset as he has. A mindset that yearns for all affection of Christ. A mindset concerned for the way the church is to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. A mindset of humility, that we saw in chapter 2, where we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility we count others more significant than ourselves. As Christ humbled himself, we too are to humble ourselves. And if you look with me at chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is asking those in the church in Philippi to practice what they have learned, what they've received, what they've heard and seen in Paul. And Paul tells them to imitate him. And so Paul's built this whole argument so that we understand what, it's, what it means to stand firm in the Lord. Do not put your confidence in the flesh. Stand firm in the Lord. Consider everything as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. Stand firm in the Lord. Do not consider that you have made it your own. Stand firm in the Lord. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Stand firm in the Lord. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Stand firm in the Lord. And Paul puts himself as one to imitate and encourages us to keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul actually pleads with these Philippians to stand firm in the Lord because he has seen the consequences of not standing firm too many times. And it brings him to tears. He pleads with them in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. How many people do we have to see choose earthly things over what awaits them in heaven? How many loved ones do we have to witness slowly sliding away, making their belly their God and just accepting what this world has to offer, finding satisfaction in here and now rather than looking forward to the day when our lowly bodies will be transformed like his glorious one? How many family members do we have to witness glory in their shame rather than giving glory to God? How many people do we have to witness walk to the left or the right without even realizing that as they do, their end is destruction? Paul is in tears here as he considers the many people whom he has already told this church about in the past who are now not examples to follow, but examples of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. I believe one of the hardest parts of being mature in your faith and having your mind set on what is in store for us in heaven is how it brings to light those around us who are in the dark, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and whose end is destruction. Paul's heart mourns for those who he has seen who may at one time may have been his greatest allies. They may have been his greatest supporters. Possibly those who may have made a confession of Christian faith in the past. But now they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's warning here brings to light two things. Firstly, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please know that the one and only true God loves you and cares for you. He has sent his own son, Jesus, who was obedient to the point of death, and he died on the cross for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again and God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. And it's by his power that we will one day be raised again to new life. And because he has the power to subject all things to himself, you can call on Jesus. And if you have any questions about what's being said today, Or, what this means for you, please speak to somebody here before you leave. It's not a matter you can take lightly, it's a matter of life and death. And secondly, this warning here brings to light the fact that we must be careful not to follow those whose minds are set on earthly things. There are people we should not follow there are people we should avoid for their end is destruction and if we follow them, we too may just find ourselves heading in the same way. There is a way which seems right in this world but in the end, it leads to death. So stand firm, hold true to what we have attained and be careful who you follow. In verse 20, Paul encourages us, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to eat even to subject all things to himself. This passage here reminds us that we are not home. This world is not our home, and our citizenship is not found here on earth. Our citizenship is found in heaven. Our minds and hearts must be fixed on where our citizenship lies, fixed on a day that is to come, not on this day and the earthly things found here today. Everything we, must, everything we do must be because we await a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to subject all things to himself. And he is the, has the power that means that one day we will rise again from the dead. And Paul has the desire to know this power. In chapter 3, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is through the power of Christ and his resurrection, that we can attain the resurrection from the dead. That means that it is his resurrection and his power demonstrated in that resurrection that we are to know and we are to look forward to. Our lives are not to be shaped by what is here and now, but shaped by a forward thinking of a day that is to come when we will be transformed. Now, oftentimes when we read a passage like this, our mind begins to wander, and our minds start to consider what it might be like for our lowly bodies to be transformed like his glorious body. And I can remember having a conversation with Ella about this, where I said, you know, Ella, maybe in heaven I won't have two eyes. I may just have one eye, right? Because I was thinking about it and I thought to myself, you know, I've lost my eye a number of years ago and if I continue to live a long life, I will live longer with one eye than two. And so maybe, just maybe in heaven, I'll be more recognizable with only one eye. And so maybe, and it doesn't matter because we're going to be in heaven with Jesus anyway, so maybe I'm just going to have one eye in heaven. Well, Ella she was not happy about this, and she stopped me right there, and she said, hold on a second. This is really concerning, right? How can you possibly say that? And she said, it is important to me that you have two eyes in heaven. But the whole point is that we have both missed the point of this passage. It's not about whether I've got one or two eyes in heaven. And it's because Paul is explaining here that we are waiting for a day. We are waiting for a savior who will transform our lowly bodies. In other words, we are waiting for that day, but we are not there yet. Our bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious bodies, but not now, not here, not yet. And so anytime we get sick, anytime our body don't work, the way it should, we are to realize that we still live in a world that is not only broken and sinful, but also a world that is waiting for a day when Jesus will return. Anytime we are betrayed or suffer, when things of this world get too much, when work is tough, when we find studying hard, Whenever we get weighed down, we are not meant to look at at those things here on earth. Rather, we are meant to cast our eyes on our Savior's return in the future. And Paul expands on this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. You don't have to flip to it, but just listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The entire creation is groaning as in childbirth. God's entire creation is eagerly waiting and longing for Jesus' return. We are groaning our lowly bodies aren't just getting old and tired with no end point. Our bodies are groaning in pain. And it has been this way since sin entered the world, and it will be this way until Jesus returns. This world here is not permanent. It is not our home. Our citizenship, in verse 20, is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So whether I have two eyes or one in heaven is irrelevant. What does matter is that it is, it is proof here and now that I am not home and I must keep my one eye on him and I must wait in anticipation for his return and I must wait for my savior who has the power to subject all things to himself and so we are to echo the words found in Revelation chapter 22 the last chapter of the Bible Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies these things say, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so we must realize until we reach that day, we are groaning in anticipation Of God's new creation, His new heaven and earth. And we must live in anticipation of that day as citizens of heaven and be encouraged by knowing that those of us who are in Christ now are those who Paul talks about in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I love, and long for my joy and crown. We can be encouraged by knowing that we are the one who Paul calls his beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so it's my prayer that you would seek out Many examples here in this church to follow. People who are worth following. Seek them out and imitate them. It is my prayer that the lives of those who are enemies of the cross would be cause for tears and cause for alarm. It is my prayer that the wonders of your citizenship and the future you have in store, would ignite your heart and your soul so that you would stand firm in the Lord. And I pray that you may stand firm in the Lord as you pursue the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, will you pray with me these things for the sake of each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to seek out those here in this church who you have provided for us to follow. Give us wisdom and discernment as we imitate them. We are aware of many who have walked Away and now walk as enemies of the cross of your son Jesus. And so help us to stand firm in you as we mourn for them. Help us to wonder at our citizenship that is in heaven as we await the day when your son will come again and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious one. Help us to stand firm. In your glorious name we pray, amen. Well, you may like to take a few minutes to reflect on uh, this passage and ask a question using slides.